it's this is kind of like a movie, right? So like guy builds huge tech company, becomes billionaire, has life-changing, life-changing accident, changes everything, gives it all up, explores the world, and becomes like a, a monk. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. You've never met Sean, right? No. If I you shan't. say something you don't like, you can just fire Sam, and that pretty much takes care of the whole thing. And I love that. I love, I'm always one to fire Sam. Yeah, exactly. Good, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, okay, so you uh, you listened to the first episode, the very first episode, or just like a random episode? I rip, I ripped through like a couple little random things. Okay, I so heard you guys talking about the Wright brothers and some random shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and from that random uh, stumble, uh, describe what you heard. What, what what kind of podcast is this? Um, it's a podcast for entrepreneurs, uh, to get inspiration and ideas. Uh, yeah, it sounds okay. like it sounds, by the way, I, I'm not being condescending. I thought it sounded, it sounded great. What I heard, it sounded great. <laughs> no, <laughs> kind of like something I would, I would listen to. That, that's what I was going to ask you. You yeah. know, is this something you would have in, earlier in your entrepreneurial career? Yes. Cause now you, yeah. now you're, now you're Mr. I've made it. You're. You, you know, you don't need that inspirational juice anymore. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah, um, never enough. Never enough inspirational juice. Look, he doesn't listen to podcasts like ours, Sean. He just buys them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Most people listen. I purchase. Uh, so one thing we – I don't know what you plan on talking about. But one thing we could talk about that might be interesting is my snowmobile accident. Yeah, so like we're live now, so we're 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 recording now. So okay. so yes, we let's we could do it. So what we'll do, I'll, I'll ask you about that. I want to know about that, and then also we're gonna talk to you about some different business ideas, and uh, I've got a few that I want to ask your opinion on. But um, so let me do Brian, let me do the super short intro. This is Brian Halligan. He's the C was the, you were the CEO of HubSpot, now the chairman or exec chairman or something very fancy like that. Something fancy like that, yes. All right, cool. And, and you um, you basically like. Like I think like two weeks. So basically, uh, HubSpot bought the hustle, my company, and like two weeks after, you got into a really bad accident, right? Yeah, and you like broke like dozen a dozen bones, or I mean, it was pretty yeah. serious. Yeah, I, after, I, I was like, I hope Brian's okay, but also I was I was like, if this deal, if this would have happened like two weeks before the deal closed, <laughs> I wonder if that would have changed anything. Yeah, because I was a big proponent of the deal. I was really happy we did it. Um, I tell you the whole story. I'm just going to go. I was snowmobiling up in Vermont with my son, Luke, and we were, we were right, we were right in the middle of nowhere, right square in the middle of nowhere. And we were cruising along and he was, he was cruising along. And I asked him to slow down. He just kind of got confused between the gas and the brake. And um, he put his, jammed his finger on the gas and he just panicked a little bit and we basically flew off a cliff and landed on a tree and i don't remember neither of us actually he's 17 neither of us remember the accident at all and we were both passed out before the we hit the tree and passed out after so we're both lying there in the snow passed out i wake up first i wake him up and we are banged up like it's like a cartoon our arms and legs are you know, we're a mess. And I thought, this is it. It's 4.30 in the afternoon. It's freezing cold. We're in the middle of nowhere. No one knows where we are. We're going to die tonight. 
Um, and I reached into my pocket and grabbed my phone thinking, there's no way there's signal. And I, I had three, I had enough signal. I called nine. I never called 911 in my whole life. Called 911. Uh, she picked up. I roughly described where we were right square in the middle of nowhere. And, um, then they call in the troops and the troops in Vermont are volunteer firefighters. Um, they're not, you know, professional EMTs and ambulances and stuff. And it took them about an hour. And one interesting thing that happened is they kind of came, the one guy who found us came from below us and he marched up the hill and he's yelling, kind of yelling for us. And we were yelling back and he finally got to us. He's starts asking us questions. He says, wait, are you Brian Halligan? I'm like, yeah. He said, hey, I'm Joey. I'm the guy who plows your driveway. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like, that's a volunteer firefighter. And they are bad asses, these volunteer firefighters. So they strapped us to sleds, pulled us straight up out of the, you know, ravine, back onto the trails, and then, you know, helicoptered us to the hospital. Well, and- all right. It's time for a little ad break. I got to tell you about HubSpot's HubSpot for Startups program. So if you're a startup and you're trying to grow, this thing is pretty great. You get a huge discount, 30 to 90% off on a tool that your whole sales and marketing team can use to help you scale as you grow. We use this in our companies. I think you should too. They have tons of resources. They got great customer support, tons of integration with popular apps that you use. You got to check it out. So it's the HubSpot for Startups program. You can check it out at HubSpot.com slash startups. When you're laying there, are you just in an incredible amount of pain? What's broken? Incredible what, amount of pain. What what what, did, what broke? What what was broken on your body? I broke like twelve or thirteen bones, but but my I could show the pictures. But my left knee, like my left knee, my tibia, my my uh, femur and tibia broke. My right wrist broke. My left elbow trashed. My right left shoulder trashed, and then my I already had a lot of loose screws up top, and now the <laughs> screws get even looser. What, just like a, you had like a concussion or something. Yeah, I had a concussion. And um, your son? I broke my my I hit the tree so hard, I broke my helmet. Oh my god! And your what yeah. about your son? He was banged up too. He broke his femur, which is a terrible bone bone to break, and he broke his knee, and he got a concussion, so he was banged up. And you had to like you had to cut him out of the will. I mean, after that, <laughs> after this accident, <laughs> he's doing great. I mean, he's seventeen, so he bounced back fast. Like he was at soccer practice today and stuff. So yeah, I was going to say really, you're, really bounced back. I you're, you're sitting in this chair. It looks like you're not in a wheelchair. Just for no, 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 no. I was in a like wheelchair for three and a half months, though. A, a good long chunk. I can walk. I can drive. I can do like a light hike. I, my brain is 100%. I'm fine. I think my brain's actually better. Uh, and and what percentage of you, you know, sort of attributes this to the hustle deal, the timing? It's too coincidental. <laughs> I mean, it was the adrenaline from the hustle deal, <laughs> the whole whole thing. <laughs> you um and like so basically, you know, I don't know. So Brian, uh, HubSpot at this point is like a maybe I forget the market cap today. Maybe in the 30 billion range, uh, revenue north of a billion employees at like what 2500 or 3000 like so this we're talking like a, a really big company at this point but you had been the the CEO from the beginning and after this accident you you know removed yourself you replaced yourself and now you're the executive chairman did the accident when you're having this like near death moment where you're like what am i doing with my life like what what or did it was it like a crisis like this like when you're done uh w- like recovering 
it's a perfect question. Lying there in the snow thinking I was going to die, I thought to myself, self, how is your life? Are you proud of it? Are you enjoying your life as you're thinking about it a second time? If you live, what do you want to change about your life? Um, it was sort of a reset button for me. And I think over time, as I look back at the accident, it may be the best thing that ever happens to me because I've made a lot of life changes since then that, um, like what, 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 what sorts of changes? Yeah. I broke up with my girlfriend of a couple of years. Um, I, you know, my whole life was HubSpot. It wasn't, I really didn't spend any time on any other causes. Like I'd write a check. And so I went on a kind of a broad search for a cause that I could put my energy and, and some cash into. And I found one that I fell in love with. It's the, called the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. It's like the Harvard of the ocean. Yeah, I've, uh, I've hung out there a bit, right next to Coffee Obsession, that coffee shop down there. Exactly, Hole. exactly. Yeah. Um, and what got me about the institute, uh, and besides the fact that I live near it, is and knew nothing about it despite living near it for 10 years, was a blatant optimism amongst the scientists on their ability to slow and reverse climate change, leveraging the ocean in a sustainable way. Like it really caught me by surprise as I was walking the halls and getting to know them. There's a lot of optimism and there's a lot of stuff on the lab there that they think can scale on a global level. So I picked them and I'm on their board and I'm doing a lot with them these days. That's been very exciting. So yeah, I've done a lot of different stuff. Like now I, I used to work out sort of casually every day. I'm like, get my heart rate up into the 160 daily. Like I'm not screwing around anymore. I want to, I want to live a long, healthy life. Like I'm 54. I'd, I'd like to live a long, healthy life. And I don't want to be an old man when I'm 70. I want to want to be a very vibrant seven year old. What have you been reading since your accident? Is there like, did you, did it put you down this different path of learning and you're like, okay, I want to explore this path or this spiritual thing or this giving thing. I don't know. Uh, like a, 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 to a different trajectory. Initially it was like, lock yourself in a room and keep it dark and don't read and don't, uh, <laughs> don't see anything when you've got a, uh, concussion. Yeah. Yeah. I read random stuff, but I, you know, I'll tell you one thing that surprised me is, uh, when you have a concussion, like I had a neurosurgeon helping me, I had a shrink helping me, I had a shaman come and visit me, I had all kinds of people consulting me on how to recover from a concussion. And from the neurosurgeon to the shaman, they all said to do one thing. What do you think that thing is? Sleep. <laughs> Meditate. 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 Yeah, they all were just like, you got to meditate. That's the way you're going to get through it. And what I what the, were you the, a meditator before? I was not. I never really meditated, or I tried, and I was just so bad at it that I gave up. And so, yeah, I'm a pretty big meditator these days. So, like, I'm just looking right here at the books I'm reading. Like, one of the books is becoming supernatural. Um. I'm not sure about it yet. I'm only through chapter one, but it's basically a meditation book. I'm taking a class on Vedic. I'm not even sure I'm saying that right meditation next week because I want to get better at it. It just seems like it unlocks a lot. Um, so this, this is, is kind of like a movie, right? So yeah. like guy builds like 
I have no, I don't know if this is true or not, but guy builds huge tech company, becomes billionaire, has life changing, life changing accident, changes everything, gives it all up, explores the world, <laughs> it becomes like a, a monk, saves, you know? saves the ocean, starts to, <laughs> and starts to meditate. <laughs> but I will this is like, yeah, like I, I this is like, a, this is like, a, this is a movie, right? This is this is how it's gonna that happen. I'm not gonna become a monk. The other thing I would say is I'm still involved with HubSpot, so I'm still like today I've had. Four HubSpot calls, so I'm not. I'm, I'm very much engaged with HubSpot. I'm just not engaged in stuff I don't like to do. Like I don't like doing one-on-ones with people and doing performance reviews and talking about their salary and stuff like that. I really, I'm not great at it. And but I'm able to work on the product stuff and the vision stuff, um, the stuff that really motivates me. So it's, it's it's really worked out. But I'm still very busy with the HubSpot stuff. And I, I always wondered this, like uh, when I was at Twitch, Emmett is the CEO and he was the original founder, right? So he's like 10 years in and, um, and he basically went from like, you know, starting the thing with two, two or three, you know, buddies basically to, okay, 2000 employees and, you know, whatever, millions and millions of users. And for a long time, his thing was like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not the professional CEO manager type. I'll get coaching there so that I'm not like awful at it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm great with product and growth and I'm going to like, there was like this perpetual candidate search for a chief product officer that oh. somehow was never getting filled. And it's like, everyone knew it's because Emmett loves to do it and it's great. I, at it. and it's we like, had a little, I had a little of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's pretty common to do for yeah. this to happen where the CEO is like, well, that's the thing I like. Don't, don't take away the one thing I like when there's like the rest of it is just firefighting and politics. Like, you know, I, I'm not, not super into that bit. And then, you know, eventually found it, it, when I was there, found somebody who was a you know really good product leader and, and engineering leader and basically over you know over that year I saw that person take more of that role and then I was like oh right, Emmett what are you gonna do now and he was like oh, I'm gonna work on like you know the vision and the long trip strategy I was like yeah but like you know when you What's wake up mean? what do you what do yeah. you do you just sit there and I'm gonna think about the vision right now it's like that's such a weird what do you do day to day and I never really understood what that meant and so like when you say I think I would I work on you know, the vision and strategy. Now you wake up, what the heck do you do? Okay. So today there was a bunch of emails back and forth between Dharmesh and I about what's HubSpot look like five years from now. Um, so literally I woke up thinking about exactly that. Right. <laughs> Turns out. And so and you're uh, doing like, it's like long form writing. So you're just like writing out, you guys are just like a, basically an email brainstorming session. Yeah. It wasn't even that long form. It was <laughs> emails back and forth. Um, and just different product ideas in different areas we could go into. Um, and then I read a lot. And so you guys probably saw that Amazon came out with like a billion new products yesterday that looked kind of interesting, actually. It's just amazing how much new stuff they had and how well it tied together. I think that started the thread, like, holy crap, is there a lot of innovation coming out of that company? And yeah, there's a lot of R&D in there, but it's amazing the amount of innovation coming out of there. And uh, I think that sort of started it. All right, everyone, a quick break, because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called MoneyWise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10000 30000 50000 And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called MoneyWise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? 
The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called Money Wise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr. Or you can just type in Money Wise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. By the way, did you see this Infinidash thing that came from, from Amazon? Did, did you guys see this? No, what is it? <laughs> so, so AWS, so Amazon launches all these different products, and uh, somebody said, somebody basically on Twitter goes, they go, they go oh my god, um, you know, AWS Infinidash looks like a game changer. Um, and I think, you know, Werner Vogels, who's like one of their kind yeah. of like CTO scientists, yeah, CTO types. He tweets out like, you know, at the, in, at the hashtag Infinidash event tonight, blah, 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 celebrating. And then, um, and it's a fake product. There is no product called Infinidash. It was like, <laughs> a, just like a meme, but people started kind of memeing it into existence. So someone immediately responds, they go, I'm buying OpenDash.io so I don't get locked into AWS as an as an open source alternative to Infinidash. And then, <laughs> oh these, and then Signal, the big messaging app that has like 50 million users, was like, um, you know, we're hiring an engineer with an emphasis on Infinidash lifecycle management. <laughs> and, um, and then there's like YouTube videos with Infinidash demos. Nice. And like people were like, I'm an Infinidash consultant. And it just like took on a life. And if you knew it was fake, you knew. But everybody kind of played the part, and awesome. a whole bunch of people thought it was real. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, <laughs> Brian. You, um, I saw this like I saw this graph. I think it was from Darmesh uh, at a talk uh, at Saster, and the graph was pretty amazing. It was like it was like maybe HubSpot's first five years of revenue, and I'm almost positive. I was trying to like read the graph, and it wasn't all marked out clearly. But I'm almost positive it said something like in year three, you already had like six million in ARR. Is that accurate? I doubt it. Um, too, too low or too high? And, and it too was like, high. Too, too high. high. I would say the thing about SaaS businesses that's fascinating is it takes you approximately forever to get to 5 million in ARR. <laughs> uh, but once you get to 5, 50 is like, bam, you know, it's tomorrow. Well, uh, that's it what took I us, thought. But like, it, took, it took us a long... No, no, no I, think you're, I think you're misreading that graph. It took us a long time to get to 5 million in ARR. It took, it took us a long time to get to a million. How long did it take? I forget, but it's it, we had a lot of churn. Our pro, you know, our pro, we've turned into a product centric company, a design centric company, and a customer centric company. But it took us a long time to get there, and so we had lots of customers coming in, but we had lots of churn in those early days, eating away at our growth. Um, so it took us a while. It took us. It took. It felt like forever to get to a million. I remember, and then forever to get to ten. And then all of a sudden, bam, 100, then bam, two, you know, it started happening fast. And even now, like we got to a billion and, you know, it's starting to happen really fast now. I, well, I, and, and like your first, uh, there was like the joke was like. But no, I, I actually disagree with you. I think you, I think Darmesh maybe 
squish that graph a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could have read it wrong, but for some reason I was like, wait, they hit they hit something. They hit like 15 no. or like something. Like, we well, didn't break okay. any records on that shit. Well, we and, and he made a joke. He was like the first five people on the team were like Brian, who was like an MBA salesperson, and then like another marketing guy, another like salesperson, and then another operations person, and then me, who was a technical person. And I actually right. had to build the thing. Right. And they're like, this combination is a horrible combination for the early, an early team, yet somehow it kind of worked. I actually, I think his point on that was the early team was a bunch of people we knew from Sloan that we got MBAs with, like people we thought were super sharp. They started them as contractors, and then we hired them. And that in a lot of ways, that was good. In a lot of ways, that was bad. Um, in the early days of HubSpot. There was a lot of pluses to it and minuses to it. The first person, the first, very few people know this, but the the the, the first version of HubSpot was built by Darmesh and these two guys in Egypt uh, that he found through, um, found online, like put a test out there. And Farah Maui, and I forgot the other guy's name, and they built like the prototype of those three built the prototype of HubSpot. And here's how HubSpot worked in the early days. All day long, I would be using the product, demoing the product, pitching the product, and using it to run our marketing. And then at the end of the day, I'd write up, you know, here's the 10 most important bugs I found. And then at night, Darmesh is a night owl, and those guys were obviously working at night because they're in Egypt. They'd fix all 10 and create like 50 more. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a constant whack-a-mole that first year. And then we hired a guy, a kid from Yale, who was a he was a poli sci major, but he was a computer scientist on the side and he was really good named Patrick Fitzsimmons. And he joined the team. And then we started getting going. Um and then we hired a guy from uh, MIT who ran engineering. And then we ran and then we hired a guy that ran Darmesh's last company, who was an engineer. And then we really started cooking. But that first version was written in Egypt, of all places. Wow. And, you know, when we think, uh, like, I, I think back about... It was Upshot. What's the, what's the name of that company? Upshot. Upshot. What is... The, the when you can outsource company? your dev projects. Like, like Not Fiverr. What's the other one? Odesk or Elance or Upwork. Upwork. It used to be called... Yeah, Elance. Yeah, Elance. Yeah, we found them on that. And that's... That was You're kidding me. No. No, he that's found crazy. That. that was her. You know, that's deal. like um, I I think I heard stories about a friend who was early at Uber, and they used to like this was like a secret that they didn't tell a lot of people. But one of the co-founders of Uber is Mexican, Oscar. Like he's from Mexico. I forget his last name, Oscar Salazar or something like that. And they used to make jokes that like some of the early code was in Spanish and they couldn't fix it. And I was like, <laughs> why? I was like, why? What's what's going on? And he's like, well, apparently, you know, just like you, you don't think about it, but Uber was just like any other small business that didn't have any money. And one of the co-founders was Mexican and he lived in Mexico and they had their peers or friends. Like it was like contractors that they could only afford make the early Uber code. And there was this joke that like a lot of the early stuff was in Spanish and they couldn't fix it. Um, and so it's kind of funny to hear that. Yeah, it's, right. it's funny you say that you don't, you don't ever think of Uber as like a struggling little startup with no money, but everyone starts that way. Except for today, there's so much money sloshing around. People don't start that way. They start with like five million bucks in their bank account. Well, the, the Uber guys had money. They just 
thought of it as a side project. They were, they didn't think yeah. of it like this is going to dominate the world. They thought of it like this would be cool. We'll roll around in black cars in San Francisco and not have to worry about taxis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't like, think they. I don't think they had that much money. I know Travis had had, had an exit, but I don't think that they were like Jared, rich. Jared rich. through stumble upon right. He, he had done well. Like he had done enough. But I don't think they were rich enough that they could like put three or four million dollars into a business before it really was. They knew it was going to be worth it. Like I don't. I don't think they. Total... I mean, those guys are hyper connected, right? Like they can, sure they can raise a seed round if they needed to. Um, so we, we were talking last episode about this company called Nerd Wallet, and the Nerd Wallet story. The re, the part that's relevant is basically it's a big finance kind of like blog, basically, and um, and they make a ton of money because they rank at the top of the search engine for. Uh, best credit card, best credit card for business, whatever. And they get a bunch of, they make like a hundred million dollars off that referral essentially at the end of the day. But they got there by making great content. And like, it was like tortoise in the hair. Everybody yep. else was like, you know, just trying to farm as much content as they could. These guys were trying to do quality content. And for two years, they were sitting in their apartment, just banging away at blog posts. And like the traffic really wasn't, it wasn't impressive. And we, I was telling Sam, I was like, if I had started this company, I would have pivoted 10 times by then. If I was advising them, I'd be like, guys, look at the data. This, this is not working. But they had a lot of faith and they sort of kept going. And there's these like perseverance stories. And then you hear these other stories that are like, well, we, we, we tried this thing. We saw the signals and so we made a shift in strategy. And these like inflection points are the hardest thing because as an entrepreneur, you never know which, which one. Is this one of those moments where I should be – persevering in spite of the data or should I be taking the signals and making a dramatic shift in what I'm doing, pivoting in some way. And I think everybody has, like I look back at any startup I started and I see multiple moments where maybe I made the wrong decision, maybe I made the right decision. It's very hard to say because you never know what would have come out the other side. When you look back at early HubSpot, was there, are there any moments like that where, you know, either it was not, when it was not working and you decided either to persevere or shift in your strategy, shift in your, your the way you guys were doing something? Yeah, there have been two big pivots in HubSpot's history that people don't talk about. Um, the first pivot was about six months in. We were building kind of a general purpose platform for le for legal firms. We call it Legal Spot. This is probably something well, we were still in business school, but we were spending time on it. And we had a prototype of it. And we would go to law offices and we'd demo it and try to get people excited about it. And they weren't super psyched about it, but there was a little piece of it that was um, around grading your website and around uh, SEO that, e that the law firms got excited about and got excited about the lead gen piece. And we stuck with this legal spot idea for a really long time. And we we're just getting very mediocre feedback. And finally, Dermesh and I were like, why don't we just work on that one thing they keep asking us about? And so we killed legal spot. And we built website grader and we built the lead generation yeah. system. And then we killed the idea of verticalizing it and went horizontal and sold it to all our friends and startups, basically. Uh, so that was the first huge pivot we had was giving up basically on the original idea. And the reason the original idea was there was when we were in business school, they put you in little pods for, uh, for stuff. And the, there was a woman in our pod who was terrific, who had started a company in the legal space and convinced us there was something really there. Um, and she might've been right if we stuck with it, but, uh, we ended up pivoting away from that and she ended up not joining HubSpot. Um, the second huge pivot we had is we were a marketing app software company. I mean, we built, we started with, we started as a web 2.0 company back a hundred thousand years ago with SEO and blogging and social media. And we were good at helping people get 
front page of Dig and Reddit and stumble upon shit like that. Wait, uh, that, that 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 was the service? Was that you were good at getting people on top of Dig and Reddit? We we were good at helping people get turn strangers into visitors on their site with no advertising money. So start your blog, get good at search engine optimization, start a Twitter, get going on uh, Dig, get going on Reddit, and start building credibility there. And so create these channels into your business, basically. That's how, that's how HubSpot effectively started. But we were SEO geeks at, at heart. And then we moved into marketing automation, which was an obvious move because everyone was buying HubSpot, but then they'd buy Marketo or they'd buy Pardot or they'd buy one of these other platforms. You're like, they'd spend a lot of money on it. We're like, you know, we have to get into that business. And so we moved into that business. But the big pivot was when we said, we're not a marketing apps company anymore. We're a CRM platform company. And then we've really turned ourselves on our head. And we made that decision about seven years ago. And that turned out to be a very, very good pivot for us. And we're still in the middle of it. Like we have so much more work to do on our apps and so much more work to do on our platform. Like it really works well. Our customers love it. You're, you're talking about, um, oh, I know I was going to ask. When you guys were early on, when did the company launch? 05? 06. 06. What? What? Oh, I don't even know if we launched it. That's when we officially started it. I don't know, actually, we never really launched the company. We just kind of started it. When you were doing that, what? Per, I mean, you know, you're a behemoth now, but what percentage of it do you attribute to? You just picked the right idea in a huge market and had fantastic timing, and it kind of you you got pulled to success. Compared to you're just uh, you know you're you you made the right decisions and you're smart and talented and skilled. I mean, what percentage of that came down to? It was just we got lucky that we saw this early on and it kind of worked out that we just stuck with it. Versus we're really good. Healthy, healthy dose of both are are a very healthy dose dose of both. Um, the thing we saw, and the and the thing that anchors me is I, I just watch the way people shop and the way they buy and the way they evaluate products. I'm sort of a, like a little bit of an anthropologist of watching people buy stuff, and I noticed two things that were going on. First of all, all the marketing stuff that I had done my whole career, whether it was emailing, you know, doing email marketing, or it was advertising or cold calling or any of this didn't work because people had caller ID, they had spam protection, they had ad blockers, like it's broken. And at the same time, people no longer were going to like IDC and, you know, Gartner and all this stuff. They were reading blogs and they were reading articles on social media and uh, they were going to Google. And so those two things just kind of clicked inside our head and like there's a transformation that needs to happen from this very old school outbound interruption-based marketing to this new school inbound marketing. You have to match the way you market to the way people actually want to shop and buy. And what the nice thing about it is your success in that new type of marketing was much, much more about the width of your brain than the width of your wallet. You didn't need a lot of money. And so we initially sort of targeted small businesses. We moved up to some, uh, to larger businesses these days, but, uh, that's sort of how it got going. And we it turns out we were right about that. And we were early on that thesis. And I remember there was a decision point in the early days of HubSpot. Like we were starting to get traction. It was starting to go. And we were unsure, you know, is this going to be a big company? Is this going to be like the two of us are going to fund this? And we'll do some angel thing. Or is this going to be a go big or go home? 
And I remember looking at it at some point in time and was like, we're right about inbound. And other people are noticing we're right. We got to like raise a lot of money and go fast because some people are going to start copying us and people did copy us like crazy. And so at some point we sort of flipped the switch from, you know, we got a little business that's going pretty well. We may have 50 people. We might end up doing a lot of services to know we're building a big software company. And it was the realization that we were early and right about this idea of inbound. And, and the, uh, go ahead, one, of the, one of the reasons people love the pod is because we yeah. we started off with kind of like what we're doing a little bit now, which is interviews with people who were successful. Say, hey, how, how'd you do it? What, what'd you do? What yeah. was it like? And somewhere along the way, I uh, just said, hey, Sam, let's record an extra episode on a Friday. What I really wanted to do was help them promote trends. And I was like, let's just talk about trends. Let's talk about what what are some opportunities your your research crew has found. And let's just shoot the shit about it. It'll sell some trend subscriptions and it'll be, I think, interesting. Like It's like how we talk offline. Let's just yeah. record it. And um, what that started was a lot of the podcast now is basically brainstorming and just shooting the shit about, well, today, here's what I see as some opportunities. Maybe I'm not going to do them because I'm already doing two businesses. My hands are full. But if somebody's out there looking, you know, I think this is really interesting. This is where I yeah. would be sniffing right now. And so I don't know if that's hard for you because you're so well, – consumed let, by a large company. No, we can do that. Let, yeah. let me ask it a little bit differently. So earlier you you had this thing called legal spot. Now you guys are just your hub spot, which is, you know, the, the CRM for like, you know, any business ever. Right. But I see a lot of companies pop up that say they are the hub spot for X. So you said you started as legal spot. Now there probably is like we are HubSpot just for the legal industry. We are HubSpot only for dentists. We are HubSpot only for doctors. Whatever. What do you think about those? And if you if you if you're not a fan or you don't think that they like are necessarily going to have legs, which industry do you think could have legs where you could have a HubSpot for X that you guys just simply can't meet because their their needs are so specific? As soon as you brought this up, I was like, there's an infinite number of opportunities for people to build stuff on top of HubSpot that's vertical specific. And so someone should build a legal spot on top of HubSpot. Someone should build a hospital spot on top of HubSpot, like whatever they want. And it's all sort of there. The APIs are there. Like there is incredible low hanging fruit for entrepreneurs to build and then just sell into our install base, sell the new customers. There's lots of channels you can sell through HubSpot. That is, it's, it's, it's probably the upside on it. You're probably not going to build a $100 billion company, but you're, the beta on it's low. You can build a good company, make good money by doing that. Are yeah. there any success stories of people doing this so far? There's a bunch of them. There's these kids in um, in um, the UK. Not kids; they're in their twenties. But um, they built something called Org Chart Hub on top of HubSpot, which was, "Hey, I'm working on selling to Procter and Gamble," and they pulled in Procter and Gamble's Org Chart, and then as a team, you can go and change that Org Chart around as a change. And it became wildly popular inside of HubSpot for sales reps using the product. And now they've built this series of different apps inside of HubSpot. That's worked out. That's that was the first of them. Now there's a whole bunch of them popping up. It's have exciting. you seen um have you seen the org? A company no. called the org? Okay. So no. it's I think it might be theorg.com actually. Uh, is it Sean? similar idea? Something like well, that. Yeah. And so all they do is the, it's a database of org org charts. And they recently raised I think they've raised two rounds, but a recent raise was a $20 million round from Founders Fund. Or something like what? that, like, like a tier one VC. Yeah, and so 
this org chart thing actually like it's it something to it. Yeah. On one of the very first brainstorms when Daniel Gross joined, we had brainstormed this because I had said it's so hard to know who the heck is who inside companies. And LinkedIn, LinkedIn, is, LinkedIn has become impossible to navigate. Exactly. And we said yes. this is a wedge to build a new style of LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah. basically took all said we'll take the resume. And then we'll create, you know, basically like the social network on top of this database of resumes. Well, why don't you create this database of org charts, get people to crowdsource? Because I think people like to say, here's my hierarchy. Here's where I am in the hierarchy. So people are willing to fill it in for their company and you can crowdsource that and then totally. use that as like the basis of a new style of LinkedIn. Yeah. I think that's what these guys are doing almost to a T. Um, I think I think LinkedIn is, there's certain companies that I think are ripe for disruption. I think they're... Um, that org chart hub thing is is cool. The company who I bet is kicking themselves is the it's the you know the information. Do you guys subscribe to the information? Yeah, yeah they, they have an org chart thing. They have an org chart thing that's awesome, by the way. I bet they're kicking themselves. They didn't spin that out into a company and raise venture for it and crowdsource that because right. it's very good. Um, I, I I refer to it often, actually. Yeah, that's uh, the media, media really company well DNA, though. Um, all right. So, what about non HubSpot related? What if you were twenty one today and you're thinking about business ideas, or you, you just graduated business school, like when you started HubSpot? What do you? Th- what would have your your fascination, your curiosity? Where would you be building? What opportunities have you seen that you're like, okay, if I had a clean slate of time, here's where I would go. What I would go for. Okay. I like to think about like the big trends and then sort of zero in on, okay, what's an idea on the big trends? So I just think just the most ginormous trend that's going on. And I saw it in HubSpot's board meeting last week. So I've been out for six months. I went to the first board meeting. We had an hour and a half discussion about the environment. And we have this whole chart on how we eventually want to get to a zero carbon footprint. Every board meeting in the world is having that same conversation. Mm. And that's a hard thing for companies to pull off. And that's just the beginning. At this point, you know, Europe sort of taxes carbon. The U.S. doesn't tax carbon. Eventually, the U.S. is going to figure that out and tax carbon. I just think clean tech, ocean tech, there's there's going to be trillions of dollars made in that industry. Can, can you explain that from a big company's perspective? Because I've never, you know, our business was much smaller than HubSpot. And so, like, when I thought about climate change, I'm like, yeah, that's important to me as a person. But, like, my business, I'm just trying to make payroll. Like, I can't even think about that at the moment. Like, uh, you know, how my company fits into that. At, you guys are much bigger. What, what do you... Um, like from your perspective, what does that mean? You're gonna, you're willing to spend money in order to do? Oh, we are. We're spending huge money. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, to, to tell me, like, well, how much are you spending, and what are you spending that money on, and what's the motivating factor there? Uh, is yeah. it like a dollar and cents thing? Is it to look good? Is it to feel good? What what where, where's the what's the motivating factor there from a from a buyer's perspective? I think fundamentally, it's a moral issue for HubSpot, its board, and its leadership team, and we all are behind it. Um. Even if you didn't moralistically believe in that type of stuff, your employees are going to force you to do it. Your investors are going to force you to do it. Uh, your customers are going to eventually force you to do it. So you don't have a choice if you're a company HubSpot size or even a little bit bigger than where you are, Sam. Eventually, your employees are going to be like, you know, what are we doing about this? You know, they were yeah. eventually going to be asking you about it in your group meetings. Um, and so what HubSpot's done is... You know, we've tried to lower our carbon footprint as much as possible, get our energy now through wind, fund uh, sustainable projects like um, forestry projects, 
river projects, uh, renewal projects out there to offset some of the energy we consume, changing policies to consume less uh, carbon dioxide. So at this point, you know, we're at zero from the beginning of HubSpot, but we want to consume far, far less. We don't want to be buying offsets. How are you tracking how much, how do, how do you track that? Is there like a dashboard? I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm- It's very it. hard to track. And, and the companies who are trying to track it are the same, are like your auditors, like the Pricewaterhouse and people like that. And there's no great way to track it. So it's a big business opportunity for companies that can figure out how to track that stuff well. <laughs> Have you heard of um, what was the thing we were talking about, Sean? It, it, was it LEED? LEED, L-L-E-E-D. So it stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. Have you ever, okay. been to a, have you ever seen a building um, that yes, has like a LEED like lead stored? Yeah, or something like That'll that. Happen. That'll so happen. We were looking it up on the show. We were talking about that. We're like, it's kind of interesting. And so it's a nonprofit. So you can actually see their sales. Um, and their revenue is like $36 or $38 million. And it's something I think it's highly recurring. And uh, is that it was kind of a shocking business, and, and, and it was weird. It's like, what on earth made all of these people believe that lead is like the thing? And yep. you know, it's like JD Power for cars. It's like yep. I, I don't actually, or Gartner. It's like I don't know. I think they just kind of said that they're the experts, and everyone kind of bought into it. And yeah, uh, and I'm like, I think, kind of I, like I a think, similar. Yes, I, I think even beyond that, like carbon sequestration is going to have to become a thing if we're going to solve it. And people are investing in ways to pull carbon out of the air that are really expensive right now. I'm optimistic on our ability to pull carbon out of the air with the ocean in a more effective way. But at some point, you're going to need to be able to say to HubSpot, to Microsoft, to whoever, hey, you purchased a certain amount of credits around carbon sequestration. Is it legit and have a true measurement yeah. system that's quantitative? Not just like a, most of the stuff out there is is survey based. Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And you sort of self-certify it. Right. Uh, there needs to be a more, more like Nielsen than JD Power, you know? Right. Uh, and there's there's a huge opportunity there. So, so for let's say so let's say you're right. Okay, so that's the that's the mega trend, and you say, okay, I could I could see the world is moving in this direction, and it's it's going to need some catalysts, some companies that help accelerate it in that direction, or pull the future forward. Where's your inclination when, or how do you approach something like that? Because I think for most entrepreneurs, they say, okay, climate change. Well, okay, that's daunting. Like. Uh, I got to save the planet. All right, that's a that's sort of a big idea here. I don't really know where to start. And then there's all sorts of frameworks you can use, like picks and shovels businesses. Like, how do you sell tools to the people who are going to be trying to fix this problem? Or investing in, in in a portfolio of companies that are all doing this. There's deep science where, like, you know, would you go find a partner like Darmesh who's got an idea around some technical solution to to pulling second carbon out of the air? How would you actually go about approaching it once you decide? Okay. This is where the puck is going. Uh, how would you how would you actually tackle that as an entrepreneur? Okay, so we just rolled the clock back to I'm an MBA at Sloan, and I'm looking for a partner and a business opportunity. And back then, it made sense. Darmesh and I made perfect sense. Um, we were both super passionate about small businesses and Web 2.0 and disruption, and we took all the same classes and we liked each other. At this point, I wouldn't be looking for a Darmesh. I'd be looking for somebody from the other side of the university, most likely. 
uh, that could help me figure this, like, how do I get more plastic out of the ocean? Or how do I, once I get that plastic out of the ocean, turn it into products in a much more efficient way? How do I get really smart about carbon sequestration? How do we get kelp to soak up all the carbon in the world and then drop that kelp into the bottom of the ocean and sequester for thousands of years? I'd be looking for scientists and engineers who are working on that type of stuff. And I think it's, it's, it's endlessly fascinating. I think it's, 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 and I think the answers are there. I, I actually am confident that the capitalist system, the startup environment can solve some of these problems. Like right. you read the news and you just think, oh, it's never, we're never, never going to fix it. Like it's the end of the world. And we're never going to get that 1.5 degrees Celsius, or it's going to blow by. Actually, I think startups and entrepreneurs and the, that same gusto that went into the biotech ecosystem, the same gusto that went into the software ecosystem, I think that's going to happen in clean tech, in ocean tech. And I think it'll work. Did you see, Sean, did you see the, I think you're friends with this guy, the old CEO of Reddit who has a new business and it's like, he's like Johnny Appleseed. It's like only planting trees or something Terraform, like that, right? Terraform, I think is the name of it. What is that? Do you know what that is? Yeah, so this guy, Yishan Wong, and um, he was, I think, early kind of Facebook. Um, and then he ended up becoming this, he was hired as CEO of Reddit. Uh, he was like basically kind of like a user of Reddit that just ended up becoming the CEO because he had yeah. kind of a, the right tech background. And now what he's doing is he's got this startup. I'm trying to find the name real quick. Um I'll find it. Par- Terraform or Terraformation. And yeah, what he's doing is basically he's, uh, he, I, he, he was started thinking about climate like at last, I don't know, or I don't know when he started thinking about it, but he started really like making that his next project over the last you know, five years. And I think what he decided was like, oh, I think one way we can attack this is to find large plots of land and we need to plant like millions of trees in this area and we need to basically re-terraformation sort of like re you know resurfacing yep. of, the, of the way you use land and um and that's what we're going to do and i think it's called terraformation inc is the name of his company and he found this plot of land i think near hawaii or something like that and um and he's basically published his idea of like here's a full solution to climate change that can be done in under 30 years and um and you know he's got kind of like a bold view of what that what that looks like. I don't know all the details. He hasn't really said all the details just yet, but he's been revealing more and more over time. It's it's mm-hmm. one to watch. It's it's one to to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, it's, I, the climate tech VC community is going to explode in the next couple of years. Well, I, I think Chamath said something like like this is the number one thing that I I, I want to invest in. But the problem is, and I, he actually just made an investment. They launched it announced it today i think it's called drone seeds and i was reading about it i was i think it's like these custom drones that basically uh is it they do it before a fire happens in a in a forest they go and they map out where they think fires will happen and i don't know exactly how it works but somehow they can guess where they think a fire is going to happen and they'll help fix it before it happens. I, I believe that, that's what it is it's called drone Great. seeds. Chamath just invested into it. But the but he basically said, he's like, this is the main thing that I'm focused on for, you know, the next few decades. And when he said that, I was like, okay, that's, that's cool. Uh, in theory, I'm totally behind this. But I was thinking, I'm like, but I have no idea how to solve it. Like, I, it's such a grand, huge thing that like, so you're now investing in or working with, um, you know, scientists at uh, 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 I forget what what was it called the um, 
Oh, wait, what's all oceanographic institute? Well, yes. And I'm like, well, that's just like incredibly intimidating. Um, and then I think <laughs> like, I think like, because I mean, like, it's so much, that's so much more challenging than just sitting in your room with Darmesh and just coding something and then calling someone asking to buy it. Um, both are hard, but one seems like way more. Yeah, you, you can get to market a lot quicker building software, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking of other ideas in this space because I'm like, well, like I'm behind this. I like money. Like, what's this huge trend? Like, let, let's, if I can, if you can build a huge company and help the world, that sounds like a win win. Um, but I was, I was, I was struggling to get my hands on something that is actually interesting, uh, that can actually be attainable. There's a bunch of people working on um, measurement systems. Like our measurements are horrible on global warming beyond just the aggregate temperature of the globe, like measurement systems of the tides. And you tell that measurements that measurement to the insurance companies so they know when the you know big storm is coming um, and getting really precise about that kind of stuff. Systems to measure the salinity of the oceans, the temperature of the ocean, the temperature of the atmosphere, and using all that information to input to the carbon exchanges that happen in Europe and hopefully globally someday. Like there's going to be a whole stock market. You think well, there, there's a there's a stock market, there's a commodities market, there's NASDAQ, there's the New York Stock Exchange. That's going to happen for carbon. And think of all of the businesses that happened around that marketplace. Um, there's this company... Right now that I, I see being advertised everywhere is called I think it's called Aspiration. Um, and basically, have you, Brian, noticed that there's like all these new credit card companies coming yes. out? Basically, what they do, I'm, I'm kind of dumbing it down, but I believe this is exactly how it works. They just partner with MasterCard. MasterCard typically takes 1% of the purchase price from the merchant and makes money that way. MasterCard then says, hey, if, if anyone starts a new credit card system and you're able to convince these people to sign up, we'll split that with you. And that's kind of yeah. how they, that, that's kind of dumbed down. And there's this new company called Aspiration, I think it's called. And we predicted this on trends, uh, shockingly, like this is something that like we nailed way before this company came out. And it's called Aspiration. And what they do is, and I have no idea how they do this, but whenever you make a purchase, it tells you, on your phone, how uh, how much carbon it used, or you know what what the impact on the That's environment cool. was, and it and and when I heard about this, I'm like, I don't buy this. I can't believe someone like I care about this stuff, but like that's just amazing that someone's willing to switch credit cards just for this reason because switching credit cards is a pain in the ass. And these guys, I think they've raised over a hundred million dollars, and they've attracted so many new customers just on this idea. And yep. it was shockingly interesting. I, 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 I never in a million years would have thought that that would take off like it did. Yep. I think this is a huge, huge trillion dollar industry. It's going to be the like software industry is a huge industry. Biotech's a huge industry. This is going to be a giant industry and there's lots of ways to get at it. Um, but it's, it's a different, it's a different model. You can't, it's not just, you know, hacking together something on the weekend, testing it and then iterating on it. It's a little different. So if climate is a trend, a big trend, a big wave that you believe in, what are some things that you see other entrepreneurs doing that you are less excited about, or you, you you're not a believer in? Is there some trends? Cause there's, there's sometimes head fakes or things that are, are too early, uh, that they're, you know, the, the time is not now. Uh, I'm curious, what do you see? Or the time has passed. You're not a believer in, you're not interested in, that sort of thing. You know, ye old enterprise software companies with ye old uh, giant outside sales forces. Um, It just feels like the time has passed to build that kind of thing. And 
I've predicted that before and been wrong. Um, <laughs> but it feels like there's a new breed of company that sells in a new way and they start with small businesses, whether it's Shopify or it's Stripe or it's HubSpot. Like there's a new way to build a company and it's not targeting Fortune 500 companies. Like when I see these companies starting, like, yeah, we're targeting the Fortune 500, like, take the technology piece away, just all the compliance work you have to do to be able to sell to those companies and all the boxes you need to check to get in there. And then the sales model is just like, oh, good luck. It's a, it's a, that's a tough road to hoe. And I want to read a couple of tweets that you had put out and I want to hear you kind of elaborate on a little bit. So one is, um, you know, you need to manage your something along the lines of you need to manage your creative people with loose reins. Uh, and that's from Lauren Michaels, the, the sort of, I think he's a producer or the creator of Saturday Night Live uh, for a long time. So what was, uh, what, what struck, what struck a chord with you about that? Okay. I, you brought out something, you actually brought up something earlier that I thought was really interesting about uh, the Twitch CEO. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so in the early days of HubSpot, I'm not a product guy, by the way, by training or by DNA for that. I, I think someone described you. I believe it was Kip. I'll, I'll, I'm a sales guy. He said, you're the, be you're the best salesperson he's ever met. Yes, I'm a salesperson. Um, and I grew up in sale. I grew up in enterprise sales, which is ironic because I just said I think that industry died. Um, but um, I tried to convince myself that I was a product guy in the early days of HubSpot. So I read everything I could about it design books. I've read everything about Steve Jobs and you name it. And I just tried to get really smart on it. And I was, the truth is I just was not good at it. And we hired one product manager, didn't work. We finally found a product manager that uh, I liked and we sort of built around. Um, and I was like, oh, I see. I don't actually have that DNA. I'm yeah. not good at this. And it took me a while. to. It took, it took me seeing someone who's actually really good at it to, to understand that I'm actually shitty at it. And I was like, oh, I get it. And then I, then I had to figure out, well, how do I manage this type of person? And the way I managed this person and the team was by really giving them a lot of free reign, like giving them very wide boundaries and just saying, hey, you guys figure out and gals what's inside this box. This is what the box looks like. And what, and what was that box? Like, we need to attract this type of customer. We need to grow by this. We need to like, we need to, we, we can't I'll have these people churning out. I'll show you, show you the box. It's a box I've drawn on whiteboards in the product organization a million times. Like, here's the CRM platform. Okay, so Brian, Brian's literally drawing a box right now. By the way, he's got like a professor-style chart. Oh, you guys, right. So, I'm, so on the board, I'll describe what I'm drawing. I drew a no, big, no, no, this is good. We have a YouTube channel. There's a fat box on the bottom that's like the HubSpot CRM Keep, keep drawing, by the way. We have a YouTube channel. This is going to be on there. <laughs> okay. It's, a, it's the CRM platform on the bottom. And then on top are apps. Like we got a marketing app. We have a sales app. We have a service app. We have a content management system. We have an ops app now. And basically, I would draw that on every board. And what's in, what's interesting about the dimensions of it is the vast majority of the space in the drawing is in the big box at the bottom, which is a message to the developers, the product people like, hey, the power inside of HubSpot isn't a whole bunch of applications that we're going to buy and glue together and cobble together. 
we're going to build a killer platform. And that platform is going to have workflows as part of it. It's going to have social media as part of it and messaging. It's going to have a set of shared services. And then the apps themselves are actually quite a bit smaller, but they're all just woven together pieces of the underlying platform. And they got it. And, uh, and actually they, they extended it in big ways. And then I said, I want a marketing business. It's going to be a billion dollar business growing X percent. And this year I want a sales box and in that sales box, I want that to be a whatever $300 million business growing Y percent. And I just draw out the numbers and draw out the boxes and they would decide what to put in there based on what they thought and what customers were saying and where they thought the world was going. So. I, I manage them very, very, very loosely. I manage other parts of HubSpot very, very tightly, but the product work very, very loosely. But I heard, I've heard that you you are like that most of the time, and then when something isn't going well, you get down and dirty, and you're hard ass, and you're like, we we have to we have to nail this. I do. I will. Do, I'm either at a very high level or I go very, very deep. And um, one of the first things that you said to me was like. Um, Keeps, you know, I, you didn't, you didn't mean it this way, but you're like, keep being you, keep being crazy. Yes. And if anyone says anything to you about what you can and cannot say, <laughs> you let me know. Yeah, stay weird. Yeah, that's what it was. It was stay weird. You're like, and you're, Austin, you're Austin, and Austin's a stay weird town. So I just naturally thought I'd stay weird because what makes you you is you're you're fucking dude. You're weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude. So I'm Chad. Brian has a book. So if you Google Brian Halligan guitar, he bought Jerry Garcia's guitar and you could like see the price on there, um, which I was like, that's weird that like I know that you bought a $2 million Jerry Garcia guitar. That's crazy. And also he has this book called like what the Grateful Dead can teach you about social media. <laughs> about marketing. About, about marketing. marketing. <laughs> um, so it, it, by the way, a lot. Yeah, what, what, what can I learn from the Grateful Dead? Oh, give, give me oh that. Give me the points. We're gonna have to do a whole other podcast about it. It's just too much. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, do you know? So there's this company called. I bet you definitely know what it is. Nugs.net. You know Nugs. Yeah, of course okay. I know Nugs. So Nugs is this. Okay. So the reason I know about it was the hustle started in this small apartment that I rented for really cheap, but it was Craigslist's old office. So Craigslist was. Yeah doing like $900 million a year. And Craig Newark basically owned the whole thing. And yeah. he was based out of this little shitty apartment that I ended up renting right when he moved out. And we shared it with Nugs.net. And it's, <laughs> yeah, and it's Nugs.net is this company that it started out basically, I think only for Grateful Dead. But basically, I, so, yeah. I remember as a kid, Sean, I don't know, you probably, you didn't have an older brother, so you probably didn't do this. But like, you would meet people on the internet and you would, get their address and you would mail them a tape and they would mail you a tape back and you would have a live recording of a particular concert. And nugs.net was the, the platform or the message board kind of where you could like meet other people who went to a Pearl Jam or a Grateful Dead concert and you trade tapes. I don't even know what they do now. Now it's cool. Now it's a live broadcast for concerts. It's awesome. And so you want to see a, you want to see a uh, Dave Matthews concert tonight. You know, they, they're probably broadcasting it. Uh, it's awesome now. They've really come along with That's an awesome app now. And they like, so they started as this like, uh, this like the exchange. I guess now they have like a thing. And we were talking about the Grateful Dead and what you can learn from. These people have the most, like it's, you know, they, there's like a few things. Like moms are like really culty about like products for their babies. 
Um, dog lovers are kind of like this. Um, health nuts can be like this. And like Grateful Dead fans, yeah. and, like the people who are into like fish, Grateful Dead, this type of stuff. Yeah. It, it's it's their engagement is off the charts. Uh, yes. When you if you okay, go and look perfect. at the, uh, so I'll give you a non secretary. In a weird way, the Grateful Dead inspired HubSpot. And here's what here's how. So Sam, let's say you're going to a Rolling Stones concert, and you show up with the, like your big camera and your giant like recording equipment. What happens when you get to the door? They say bounce. You know you bounce. can't. And what do they? What does the Grateful Dead say? I think they have a section where you can they sit. Have a special taper section for you. Like, come on in, sit right here, put your microphone up, like get your gear all set up, come early, you got like VIP access, and you go and tape. And and then you listen to the concert. And one of the things about the Grateful Dead that's interesting, like when you see the Rolling Stones, you see them in Boston, they play a certain set list and they play it very precisely and they're very good. Then they go to New York and what do they play? It's a, it's a totally different it's thing. It's the exact same thing. Like oh, no, well, no. Yeah, no, most no. bands do the same thing, but Grateful Dead, it changes every night. It right? totally changes every time. And sometimes, by the way, sometimes it's terrible, but usually it's quite good. And so you tape in Boston and then you go to New York and they do, you know, Giant Stadium for two nights. And then you go to Philly and you follow them around. And by the end of the show, you've got like, you know, 15 shows, uh, you know, of your tapes. And you pick the two or three real good ones and you make copies for your friends and you send them around to your friends. And then you're at some fraternity party or whatever. And somebody's playing this tape and the person next to you is like, hey, what's this crazy gypsy music they're playing? You'd be like, oh, this is a Grateful Dead. Why don't you come with us? We're going on to, on the spring on the summer tour this summer. Come along with us. The Grateful Dead were the first and best inbound marketers. They gave away all their content and they used the best content to spread the word around the internet. They were they were very inspirational behind inbound and content marketing and all that stuff. They were the first ones. They were the really first ones to really embrace uh, viral marketing in in a in a super super modern way. And back then there wasn't email marketing and there wasn't like uh, social media, but they were big on message boards and the message boards were on fuego. <laughs> I think the the live music space is interesting to me and there's a few opportunities that I've seen. So there's this company that is str- streams live concerts on Apple TV. Uh, I forget what it's called, um, but they. That's what, by the way, that's exactly what Nugs does. Yeah, and this company, they just built like a. Uh, they don't stream live ones, but it's like a. It's like a. It's like Netflix okay. for concerts, and they were that's, doing like. That's a cool idea. It was pretty cool. They were doing about twenty million dollars a year in subscription revenue, and I think they bootstrapped it. They're based out of England. I'll have to look. I'll look up the name in a second. And then the second thing that I always thought was interesting, and it totally bombed, was Songkick. Sean, did you know Songkick? Yeah. No. Okay, so Songkick, what it did was they basically you would say where you're living, and it would yeah. tell you all the, lo- the all the concerts yeah. happening that day or for any I other day. I still get the email. I still I, get the yeah. Email. So they have this huge email. It's basically like an email marketing yeah. business, and yeah. they raise a little bit of money, and it complete. I think it went. I think they it, it failed and was sold for nothing. But the thing about the the live music space is like a lot of people have tried to build stuff in there because it's fun, right? It's like you're passionate about it. But very few companies have been able to pull it off and make money. Um, another one was um, like um, something FM. What was that called? Uh, I forget what it was called. It was started in San Francisco. Turntable FM. Turntable FM, and mm. it, it that bombed too. It, it didn't work out. Mm. Nothing. Well, there's in like there's the- rights problems. There's rights problems. That's one problem for music. And then the other thing is. 
the trick in business is, I think, to do what you're passionate about that not every other human is also passionate about. Because <laughs> yeah, right? totally. you want to follow your passion, but you don't want to follow everyone's passion because that's just competition, uh, right? Like Brian nerds out about inbound marketing. He's passionate about something that 99% yes. of other people don't even know don't or care about. Yeah. So that's totally. the beauty of HubSpot and how you can build a giant company like HubSpot because you're going to go further than everybody else. Live music? Okay, yeah, great. Here, here you go. You and every other uh, really good point. 20-year-old wants to do it. It's, I'm, not it's, a huge, I'm not a huge Peter Thiel fan, but he said, he said something interesting in his book. He said, in order to be successful, you need to be right about something that everyone else thinks you're wrong about, and they think you're wrong about it for a long period of time. Yeah. I, I, I think that's right-ish. Yeah, somebody says something like that. They go, investing is is uh, make it, being a great investor is investing in things that everybody agrees with you about later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's called Quello, by the way, Q-E-L-L-O. And they claim that they have two or three million subscribers. Uh, very interesting business. All right, we, um, we, we got a wrap. Uh, we got another pod right after this, actually. Brian, this is great. Thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me. This is fun. You're a fun hang. I, I like this. I didn't know <laughs> yeah. anything about you before this, so this is cool. I yeah, want to have you on again. The things next I want to talk about is like the evolution, how you go from like just being scrappy to now you're like very corporate CEO. That's a, that's a, it sounds like an insult. That's not an insult. I mean, like you're able to like manage thousands of people and like very few people have been able to pull that off. So I want to, I want to, we can talk, we can talk about the, the CEO journey and how it changes over time is interesting, but we definitely have to talk more grateful dead. <laughs> down. I'm down. Well, thank you, man. This is awesome. Uh, this you. is, it's, it's kind of your podcast now. So anytime you oh, want to yeah? come on, let's do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Travel never looking back. Oh, yeah.